Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a world of instant gratification. Want to purchase something? Just go on to Amazon, look up the thing you want to buy, and with the click of a button, you can buy it. Of course, you may have to wait about a week or so for your package to arrive, but it's all very easy. Same goes with making dinner. Don't want to make dinner one night of the week? Just Go on, skip the dishes, order what you want, and it comes right to your door. There's lots of things like that, from having immediate access to pretty much anything you want to know on the internet, to microwave food, a lot of things can come quick and easy in our day. Now, there's nothing wrong with this in and of itself. These things are convenient, we can make use of them. But living in a world of instant gratification has the potential to, to do something to us has the potential to erode our patience. That's because when you're so used to having everything instantly, waiting for long periods of time for something you want becomes that much more difficult. This is especially true when you're going through trials. There's nothing that will try your patience like going through suffering. The thing is, suffering is something we will not be able to avoid in this life. We will all go through it. But our text this morning gives us encouragement in this regard. It encourages us to remain steadfast under trials, and we will go through them. You will go through them. It teaches us to wait patiently as we go through suffering. And one way it repeatedly does this is by pointing us to the return of our Lord Jesus. It does this because when Christ returns, he will end all suffering for God's children. So that brings us to the sermon theme this afternoon, which is as follows. God calls us to patiently endure sufferings until the Lord returns. We're going to look at, first of all, the call to patient endurance Second of all, the command not to grumble. And finally, the encouragement from biblical examples. So first of all, the call to patient endurance. Now our text begins with the words of the the word, therefore. And this word tells us that our passage is built upon the verses we looked at this morning from the beginning of James chapter 5. The Spirit through James denounces their rich landowners who are cheating their workers. And they receive sharp words of judgment for their stealing and for their greed. But they are, they are, of course, not the only ones involved in this situation. There's not only the person who does the wrong, but there are also those who were wronged by their actions. And the Holy Spirit, through James, now addresses those people. And in the immediate context of this chapter, it refers to the workers who have been cheated. They've been stolen from. They've been mistreated. They've suffered greatly at the hands of others. And so how does the gospel, the good news of Christ, address them and their situation? And what does it say to everyone who as a believer, suffers at the hands of others, also including us? Or what does it say about suffering in general as we go through it? 
Well, we can say this about these workers here uh, addressed in this text. These workers who have been cheated can absolutely work for justice in this life. They can seek to gain the pay that's due them through every lawful means. But there was one problem also living in this time period. They were weak people battling against people of power. And in the ancient world, the rich people often ruled the day. And judges could often be bribed or swayed by the rich and the powerful. And so there was little hope of the little guy getting the justice he deserved. And so God's word tells them. And it tells us when we have been wronged by others to wait for the justice of God. Christ is going to come back to this earth. When he does, he will judge the living and the dead, giving out perfect judgment. And he will right every wrong that we have faced. And that's why verse 7 gives us this command. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now, that's the call. But that coming of Christ and the relief from oppression that it brings might not come exactly when these people want it or when we want it. Because that's true, they will have to wait patiently until it does come. And the word be patient here is a sense of being forbearing. It's the ability to endure being provoked while remaining calm and level-headed. It means to stay steadfast despite difficulties. And we can only do this through faith in God's promises. Just a few verses earlier, we learned that the cries of the oppressed, they go up into heaven and into the ears of the Lord of hosts. He hears them, and he sees his people who are suffering, and he knows them. And he will not indefinitely delay giving them justice. But they must be patient as they wait for God to act in his good time. And this is how God has acted uh, throughout history. Just read the Bible, you can see this is how the Lord has acted, and God's people have had to wait for him. Just think of Israel and slavery in Egypt in the book of Exodus. For hundreds of years, they went through terrible suffering at the hands of the Egyptians. They cried out under their harsh slavery. To many, it may have seemed like God was not hearing them at all. But we know from Scripture that God did hear them, despite His apparent silence. He saw the oppression of His people, and in His good time, He acted to save them. He worked justice for them by punishing their oppressors. God still works the same way today. When we suffer at the hands of others, He will act, but in His good time. And Christians, 
might have to endure all kinds of suffering in this world. We might have to suffer terribly for the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Our Lord himself told us that if the world hated him, it will also hate his followers. And so we have to be prepared for that. And whatever the suffering we go through, whether it be through injustice or just the general suffering of this life, God calls us to remain patient as we wait for Christ to return to renew this world. Now, as we wait, sometimes we might wonder, well, why, why doesn't God do something about the wicked right now? Why does He so often let the wicked flourish also as they oppress uh, His children? Why does He sometimes let them hurt His people really badly? And you know what? We could give several reasons for that. There's one thing I'll mention this afternoon. One thing is that God gives people time to repent. See, God does not delight in the death of the sinner, but that he turn from his ways and live. It doesn't bring him joy to condemn and punish the ungodly, even though he will do so for his glory when Christ returns. But whatever happens, whether the sinner repents or God brings his justice against him, the suffering of the believer will not go on indefinitely, forever. As we wait for that time, God tells us, be patient, be steadfast. To help us in this, our text gives an illustration. And it's an illustration chosen for a good reason, especially because, again, the immediate context is these workers are working for these rich landowners working their fields. <clears throat> Many of them are harvesters. And here the illustration is taken from the world of farming. Listen to verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts, because the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so this was an illustration that these poor oppressed workers could take to heart every day, apply it to their situation uh, right then and there. See, when you work on a farm, one thing you need is patience. <clears throat> it takes time for the, for the crops to grow. And rare are the times when the weather comes just the way you want it, when you want it. Now, God in his providence can and does do this, but more often than not, we are left waiting for God to send the needed rains, or when we want them. And it can feel as though the best time for rain was always yesterday. And that feeling can bring about a sense of helplessness. After all, we can't control the weather. So farmers need to rely on God and wait for Him to act. And yet, despite those feelings and maybe some anxiety, God, more often than not, grants a crop. In His good time, He sends the rain and the sun so that the earth gives food. So as Christians, we must arm ourselves with the same kind of patience. We're not in control of the coming of the Lord. Yes, we do 
pray for his return. God will send Christ again in his good time. So he calls us to wait. You also be patient, just like that farmer. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. In other words, strengthen your heart. Be stout-hearted. Be of good courage. Yes, you may go through suffering, but will not last forever. As it says in 1 Peter 4, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name, and let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That brings us to the second point. So one way our text teaches us to endure suffering is to wait patiently for the Lord's return. It's not uncommon for a lack of faith to surface in the midst of trials. And so it calls us to to wait in faith. But there's another temptation that can arise when we go through trouble in suffering. It's the temptation to grumble against each other. Think of it this way. When you have a really stressful day or a bad day, I'm guessing that most of us are not at our best. It's easy to get annoyed at someone else. We might grow irritable, maybe even downright rude. And when you're hurting, it's one thing to be patient for the Lord's return because He's perfect. It's another thing to be patient with the sinful people around you. And this type of stress can produce large quarrels if we're not careful. That's why verse 9 warns us, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Now, when I hear that word grumble, I immediately think of the people of Israel in the wilderness. Yes, God did in His good timing save Israel from Egypt, as we heard in the first point. But instead of immediately putting them in the promised land, he led them through the wilderness. And then after Israel um, disobeyed God's command and did not believe his promise about the land, they had to endure 40 years in the wilderness. And during those wilderness wanderings, they suffered. It's true. Their hardships were difficult. They were long-lasting. And as they went through that, Israel began to grumble. They directed much of their grumbling towards God. They also grumbled against Moses and Aaron and against each other. And this same tendency is also in us. When we go through suffering, it not only tests our patience with God's promises, but also with each other. And the hardships we go through can tempt us to go on, as Galatians 5 puts it, biting and devouring each other. But just as the Lord hears the cries of the oppressed, He also hears the grumbling of His people. You can read that in the book of Numbers. God does not look upon it favorably. Think how He responded to Israel's grumbling in the wilderness. He disciplined them often for their sin. 1 Corinthians 10 warns us not to go down that road. And that is indeed the warning here in James 5. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So the picture is of a judge 
about to enter the courtroom. And now he's come right up to that courtroom. He's standing at the door. It's as if he's put himself into the ready position, about to walk in. He's right there. There's nothing stopping him from walking through that door to make his judgments. And in the sense of Christ's return, this means we are in the last part of salvation history. There are no more salvation events that need to happen before the Lord Jesus returns. Christ died and rose again. The Spirit has been poured out. The gospel is being preached in the world. And so at any moment, the Father can open the door of heaven and Christ can return to render judgment. And that reality should prevent us from grumbling against each other. Why is that so? Well, here's where I'd like to quote from John Calvin. He put it well when he described the situation of James's audience. And he says, If everyone complained, they would all have accused one another. For no one was so innocent that he did not do some harm to others. God will be the common judge of all. What then will be the case but that everyone who seeks to bring judgment on others must allow the same judgment against himself? Unless, unless all will be given up to the same ruin. Let no one then ask for vengeance on others except he wishes to bring it on his own head. Unless they should be hasty in making complaint of this kind, he declares that the judge was at the door. Beautiful words from John Calvin. God calls us to patiently endure sufferings in this life. We endure them by not only being patient as we wait Christ's return, but also being patient with one another. That means refraining from grumbling against each other. That brings us to our last point. So, beloved, patiently enduring suffering is not easy. And I'm sure you know that, especially if you're going through deep trials right now. So God's Word not only gives us warnings, but it seeks to give us great encouragement. We see that in the last part of our text. To encourage us to remain steadfast through the trials of this life, the Holy Spirit, He points us to examples found elsewhere in Scripture. The first example our text gives us is the example of the prophets. The prophets featured prominently in the dark times of Israel, the times when God's promises appeared only as a a faint glimmer, as something like a, a distant dream. Continually, the prophets of God were rejected and silenced and even attacked. And yet, by God's grace, they persevered in faith and in obedience. This is how verse 10 puts it. As an example of suffering and patience for others, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed to remain steadfast. Indeed, we can go through the prophets and see so many of them suffered. Take, for example, Elijah. He spoke the word of God in the time of Ahab and Jezebel. Not exactly the glory days of Israel. Baal worship was rampant. God's prophets were being slaughtered by the hundreds. 
In response, Elijah proclaimed a famine throughout the land as an act of God's judgment. But then Elijah had to patiently wait. He waited at the brook Kidron. A raven sent him food in the morning and then in the evening. Then when the brook ran dry, he journeyed to Zarephath to be supported by a widow. When he returned to Israel, he defeated the prophets of Baal. But still, he was hunted by Jezebel. It's true that Elijah, at times, he felt like giving up. He even asked the Lord at one point to take away his life. That's how badly he was suffering. But by the renewing grace and strength of God, he kept going in service to the Lord. That was Elijah. As another example, consider Ezekiel. If you read through the book of Ezekiel, you can see the Lord made Ezekiel do some very difficult tasks. Here's one example from Ezekiel 4. Ezekiel had to make a model of the city of Jerusalem, and he had to lay miniature siege works against it, symbolizing the coming siege on Jerusalem. Well, that doesn't sound very hard, not at all. Then, however, God told Ezekiel to lie on his left side before the model of Jerusalem for 390 days. And he was to do that in order to symbolize the years of Israel's coming punishment. After those days were over, he then had to lie on his right side for 40 more days. And when you read that, all you can say is, what an incredibly hard thing to do. It would pretty much be unbearable. Yet again, Ezekiel persevered in faith and in obedience by God's power and strength. Then there's one more example, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah has been called a weeping prophet, and for good reason. He preached and preached for Judah, to Judah for years. And what did he get in return? Nothing but rejection and ridicule and even attacks. Just look at what we read from that book. Jeremiah faithfully proclaimed God's word, and that included words of God's judgment. What happened to him as a result? Pastor the priest beat him and locked him up in the stocks. After Jeremiah was released, he proclaimed more judgment. Then he could not help but turn in sorrow to the Lord. Oh, Lord, he said, I've become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. The word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. This was only a small sample of his troubles. But he, too, continued on in God's service despite the suffering. And to these examples, we hear our text add on these words. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. We consider them blessed. Yes, Elijah's life may have been in danger many times from wicked Ahab and Jezebel. But he doesn't need to fear that anymore. Elijah is forever safe and secure at God's right hand. He has eternal life, and his enemies 
can no longer touch him. He is blessed. Then there's Ezekiel. Yes, he may have suffered immensely as he lay on his left side for 390 days, and then his right side for 40 more. And I can tell you one thing, and it was difficult for, all, for him to do all those jobs. But all that's over now for Ezekiel. He's in eternal glory. Surely it would have been hard to persevere. But now he's blessed beyond measure. Then there's Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, experiencing nothing but rejection and hatred. Where is Jeremiah now? He's with the Lord. And he's no longer weeping and crying or being rejected and hurt. His heart is full of joy and peace in the presence of God. He's surrounded by God and His love and all the saints in heaven. We consider those blessed who persevered. Yes, their suffering was great, but the eternal weight of glory far surpasses it all. Beloved, it will be the same for you who persevere in faith, who remain steadfast under trial. One day the suffering will end and eternal joy will be yours. If that were not enough, our text then points us to one of the greatest examples of perseverance and suffering, the example of Job. Of course, Job endured it all. Lost all his possessions, lost all his children to death, he lost his health and his friends. Through it all, it looked to his eyes like God was somehow out to get him. And although he struggled immensely, even cursing the day of his birth, Job did not reject the Lord. James 5 describes it like this. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job from the Bible. But then it says, you have seen the purpose of the Lord. But you know what? This is one thing Job did not see during his lifetime. He did not see the purpose of the Lord. He could not see it as he was going through his sufferings. God never told him what went on behind the scenes in heaven. Job had to patiently wait in faith. But we have seen the purpose of the Lord from Scripture. God has revealed it to us. We can see how the Lord restored Job in the end too, giving him more than he had before his trouble came. You can be sure that Job's troubles and sufferings are forever gone. God is compassionate and merciful. It was not out to crush Job. He was not going to let his sufferings go on forever without end. And now he has brought Job into eternal glory. That will be the same way for you who believe and persevere in faith. God might lead you through many dark valleys. You may see many troubled days. He's leading your life as a faithful shepherd. When he brings you into eternal life, then remaining steadfast through the suffering will have been eternally worth it. 
and you will be considered blessed beyond all imagination. You know, these things were prophesied about by Isaiah in Isaiah 35. Yes, that chapter, first of all, describes the return from exile for the people of Israel. But it also foretells our entrance into God's eternal kingdom. And so I'll end with the last words from Isaiah 35, where it says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return, and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing hymn 69.